brutal in so many ways. So if you feel like your marriage could use a booster shot, join the club. If you feel like you're really excited that we're going to talk about how to strengthen marriages, that's what today is all about. I remember Tim Keller, who wrote the book, The Meaning of Marriage. Um, he talked about how when, when he started planting his church in New York City, he and his wife had agreed, they had understood together, that it was going to be at least a three-year process where his schedule is going to be crazy, a lot of long nights invested in the church. They agreed together on that. But then when three years became four, became five, became six, his wife was losing hope that anything was going to change. So she needed to find a way to get his attention. So when Tim Keller came home one day to their New York apartment, he suddenly began hearing smashing sounds. And as he approached the door, he opened the door, and his wife was sitting on the ground with their wedding china out, and she was smashing one saucer with a hammer after another. And Tim rushed in and said, what is going on? And as she smashed the third saucer, she said, this is what you're doing to our marriage. And his eyes got wide and he started to tremble and she said, I feel like you're not listening to me. And he started shaking and he sat down and said, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And then he listened to her express her, her, her need for things to change and, and her feeling like their marriage wasn't going to make it if he continued in this pattern. And he said, okay. And so they came to an agreement. And then worried about her, he said, are you having an emotional breakdown? You're smashing the wedding china. And she said... Oh no, I lost the cups to these saucers years ago. I had three to spare. <laughs> she said, but don't make me break another one. It's just a wonderful picture of a wife trying to get her husband's attention and saying, we need help. And if you feel like we need help as a couple, if you feel like we've got to get stronger as a couple, hey, that's what today is going to be all about. Let's pray and then we'll get into the Word of God together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would show us today how to love one another in marriage. Show us what the ideal is, what the picture of a perfect marriage is, and then as we fall far short of that, show us what it means to grow stronger every day, to build a spiritual partnership out of love and respect for one another. And we need your spirit to do this, and we need your word to perceive this, so help us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ephesians 5:22. let me read it to you. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now also the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I wonder, how many of you had this passage as like your wedding passage? Like this was used in, in your ceremony, okay? So you look back and you remember, usually you hear this preached um, at weddings. Usually you don't hear it preached on a Sunday morning. 
Why is that? Well, it leads off with, wives, submit to your husbands. And pastors usually aren't thinking to themselves when they're in their office picking a sermon topic, it's Submission Sunday. They usually are not excited about that topic, but when you preach verse by verse through a book, you cover everything that comes up. And so, that's where we're at today. Wives are addressed first, and so we will talk to wives first. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the first thing you can write down is this, Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Did he just say that? And he expects me to write it down? Who does he think he is? I'll freely admit it's very awkward to be preaching that. But I'd like to think that when this letter was originally written and the scroll arrived in Ephesus and the first man ever who got up with the scroll and he was unrolling it while he read it and he got to this passage, I'd like to think he felt just as awkward as I did. When he got to that point, I'd like to think maybe he read a little faster as the original person who read this to the churches in Ephesus, he would have been looking out upon a congregation that was mixed He would have had Jewish peasant women who were immigrants far from a land that was their home. Most of them would have had arranged marriages, very little legal protection in the great Roman Empire. Hardly any of them could read. And here's this man standing up telling them about submission. There would have been the Greek women who would have taken pride in being smart and sophisticated and who does this man think he is and then there would have been the roman women who were strong and cultured and some of them even citizens and this man is now telling us to submit their husbands likely sat beside with a silent amen but knowing they were going to hear about it when they got home and so i joined the many men who have felt uncomfortable in proclaiming this on behalf of God, and yet I say it, wives, submit to your husbands. It means to respect his authority as the spiritual leader of the home and to follow his lead graciously. As if it wasn't already uncomfortable and awkward, here's the first sub-point, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You can write that down. Oh, that's it. Some women are snapping their pencils right now. As to the Lord. So, you're saying I have to submit to my husband not just a little, but as much as the church submits to Christ? The Bible says yes, in all things. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Um, I know everyone wants to know what this doesn't mean, but let's focus on what it does mean First, we're given two metaphors here that run throughout this passage. The first one is of a bride and a groom. The Lord Jesus Christ is a groom and he has a bride. The bride of Christ is the church. So men and women sitting in the room, you, if you're a Christian, you are the bride of Christ. Jesus loves you with an everlasting gracious love that you will never deserve. He's getting you ready for the big day. In the uh, New Testament, betrothal 
was like Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed. It was, it was legally binding, so it was, it was more than an engagement, right? It was legally binding, but the wedding day hadn't happened yet. We are betrothed to Christ, but the wedding day has not yet happened. That's why we're waiting, looking ahead to the great marriage, the great wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what it means to go on to the next life. We become one with Christ in heaven forever. So here's a picture of a bride waiting for the big day to begin. She's looking out, and the day that she's been thinking of since she was very young is finally there, and all the plans are in place, and she's beautiful and radiant and ready. And that's the church. That's you, man. That's me. That's the men and that's the women, that's the church. So this idea of a bride being made ready for a royal wedding is running through this text. Jesus is the groom, which gives him the authority and the responsibility to make the event excellent. Now, there also is the imagery of a body. Jesus is the head, the church is the body. So we are all men and women, the body of Christ. Jesus assembles his body and he cares for it. There's an idea of care. So the husband cares for the wife, loves, leads, protects, provides. And with the body, the head gives life to the body and direction to the body. So again, there's authority, but there's also care and love. Now, when you understand that these two metaphors show just how much Jesus loves us men and women, we, we take that perfect love and we say that's how our marriage should work. That's how our marriage should work. And women are addressed first, and they are told that the wife is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. Now, this image in the text is surprising because it says in verse 26 that the groom is getting the bride ready for the big day and the bride is not getting ready. It says in verse 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her. She's not clean so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Her dress isn't clean. That she might be holy and without blemish. She's not well behaved. So the idea of, the idea of a bride who is disheveled and careless and woefully unprepared for a royal wedding she has been invited to a bride who needs her husband to launder her dress and fix her hair and do her nails, could it be any more insulting? I mean, how many women in here let their husband do their hair on the wedding day or their nails or, or to iron out the dress? or to? It's almost like you didn't want anyone to touch anything. Just get away from me, okay? I'm all ready. Nobody touch me. That's not how human weddings work. But here, the bride is not getting ready. And so, women, you can immediately feel like this is a really insulting metaphor. Let me get this straight. I'm not ready for heaven, and my husband has to clean me up and wash me and fix my dress and do my hair. And it sounds insulting, but it's not. It's actually enthralling. Because this is what Jesus is doing for you. He's getting you ready for a royal wedding that you can never get yourself ready for. And so when your husband imitates Christ with that same kind of love, then what happens? Then you end up following the leadership of a godly man who wants to help prepare you for heaven. Isn't that what every woman of faith truly wants? A godly man. Don't you want your relationship with your husband 
to feel like your relationship to your Savior? Could you ask for anything more? That's the ideal for a marriage. Now let me clarify that God never expects submission to sin. So this never means that a wife has to submit to her husband in matters of sin. This is not blanket compliance with everything your husband demands. That's not what the Bible expects. This is also not an endorsement of a breakdown of leadership. So God promises to hold poor spiritual leaders, leaders accountable. And so women always have an appeal if things are going wrong. They can appeal to their church elders, to the law, or even to God himself. And to say, this is wrong. This is broken. This is not working according to the scripture. Now this doesn't mean that women can say, I will submit to my husband as long as he's being exactly like Jesus to me. Well, good luck. <laughs> That's never going to happen. You don't get a contingency. You do get an appeal. But this is, um, wives, you're called to follow his spiritual leadership within spiritual partnership. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Jot this down, because he's the spiritual leader. Because he's the spiritual leader. It says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And it says in verse 23, for the husband is the head. So your husband is the senior pastor of your house. He is the spiritual leader in the church, in your house. And on judgment day, he will answer first for everything that happens under the roof. So he is the spiritual leader. And let me point this out. This is directed toward Christian couples. So when it says, um, when it, when it says husbands or wives submit to your husbands, he's the spiritual leader, it assumes there are two Christians in a marriage. Now, for some women, they're married to a non-Christian. And I would just say this text doesn't directly apply to you in the same way. You would instead go to a text like 1 Peter 3. You might want to write that down. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 addresses women who are not married to Christian husbands. And what it makes clear in that text is you are the spiritual leader in your home. Okay? Don't go home and be like, well, I guess I'm just going to wait for him to be like Jesus. That's not the point. When you're not married to a Christian, you have to embrace that you are the spiritual leader of your home. You've got to bring it to the kids. You've got to bring it to him. 1 Peter 3 lays out how you can do that. Okay? But when it comes to two Christians in a marriage, the husband is the spiritual leader. And therefore, what is biblical submission? Here's biblical submission. A spiritual partnership where the husband leads in love and the wife follows his lead with respect. A spiritual partnership where the husband leads in love and the wife follows his lead with respect. That's biblical submission. Now, how do I know if I'm a wife, if I'm submitting right? Does that mean he gets to rule the remote, pick where we go on vacation and get dinner, whatever he wants? No. Doesn't mean that a woman is left with no choices or no freedom. This text actually elevates women because in the ancient world, women would have had no legal freedom. Women would have had uh, very little protection. Women would have been treated often like property, just sent about in culture wherever the men wanted them to go. So for a text to suddenly say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, this is a giant promotion with the quality of relationship the Bible expects in a marriage. So, how do we gauge, women, what submission means? Well, Proverbs gives three major errors that women can make in their households 
three women who are universally condemned in the book of Proverbs would be a good spot check for you. The first woman in Proverbs mentioned is the quarrelsome wife. The quarrelsome wife is always challenging her husband and countering her husband and nagging him. Uh, this is the opposite of a submissive spirit. This is a contentious spirit. Proverbs couldn't be any more clear on what it's like to be married to a quarrelsome wife. It says it's better to live on the roof. So if you're tempted to be a quarrelsome wife who's countering and wrestling and tug-of-warring and, and you won't release your husband to lead, just remember the Bible says it's better if he moves up on the roof. And you might feel like, well, then let him go. <laughs> and that should bring conviction into your heart. The quarrelsome wife is corrected in Proverbs. The next woman in Proverbs is the unfaithful wife. The woman who gives her heart and her body to other men besides her husband. This is the wayward wife who doesn't keep her vows, who shares her heart openly, her emotions, her frustrations, her feelings with men she is not pledged to. This is a woman who would share her body with other men. This is an unfaithful wife. And she is not submissive because she's breaking her vows. So the quarrelsome wife, the unfaithful wife, and then the third in Proverbs is the disgraceful wife. The disgraceful wife is the woman who humiliates her husband by how she conducts herself in public or how she talks about him when he's around or when he's not around. She disgraces him and dishonors him and demeans him and she humiliates him. This is the disgraceful wife. So I would leave it to you to do some heart searching because a lack of submission comes out in quarrelsome spirit or unfaithfulness or being disgraceful towards your husband and those are three women in Proverbs that are corrected with the strongest of language. But in Proverbs 31, it makes it clear that a godly wife is not a doormat. A woman of faith, a woman of noble character described in the last chapter of Proverbs can be strong and humble, can be assertive and acquiescent, can be resourceful and respectful. And I would say that, women, God wants you to be strong in faith. He wants you to be strong in spirit, in love. And he wants you to be submissive. When your husband takes the lead in love and faith and you follow his lead with godly respect, the world will see the love of Christ radiating from your marriage. Isn't that what you want most? So number one, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord because he's the spiritual leader. Number two... Husbands, love your wives. Write that down. Husbands, love your wives. Women only got three verses. The rest of the sermon is on the men. Husbands, love your wives. Men are confused right now what it means to be strong. They're given mixed messages in the culture. One minute they're told they need to be men. They need to man up. They need to not turn in their man card and they need to promote the old style of masculinity. The next minute they're told that strong male leadership is toxic, that masculinity is inherently oppressive and therefore the thought that you have any authority over anyone else and that you're going to try and be a strong leader is undesirable. So men are confused. And men are struggling. They're struggling because they want to be seen as strong. They want to be seen as competent, but they're not sure how to do that. I saw a video recently of men who were 
trying to solve a problem. There was a mouse right outside a house, and they couldn't get rid of it, and so these three men decided to man up and get rid of the mouse. Check it out. Here's how that went. That's a hose. They're done. They're done. They lost their man card for life. Every man's nightmare. What does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be a godly husband? Especially given the fact that the culture is sending you mixed, mixed messages. Well, I would say this. Uh, man, God wants you to be the spiritual leader of your home. And he wants you to lead in love. There's a lot of ways you can measure a man. How fast is he? How smart is he? How strong is he? How, how handy is he? But uh, the primary measure of a man in the Bible is the spiritual well-being of his wife. Men, is she blooming? Or is she wilting? Write this down. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. How did he do that? It says, and gave himself up for her. Verse 25, where did Christ give himself up for the church? Tell me where that happened. Men, tell me where that happened. Where did Christ give himself up for the church? At the cross. At the cross, Christ loved the church and died a torturous death for her eternal salvation. See, I think men read this passage and too often they're like, ooh, I get to be the husband. Sounds like I get the better deal. I'm the boss. Uh, in this passage, the wife submits, but the husband dies. Man, do you want to be the man in your house? Don't crash on the couch and ask your wife to bring you a crown. Climb up on the cross and die that she might live. Sacrifice everything selfish and everything sinful. Then come back home from your own funeral filled with resurrection power from heaven and get to work filling your home with heaven's glory rather than earth's folly. Casket first, crown second. That's spiritual leadership. That's the love of Christ. We see here how marriage is divinely intended to mirror Christ's love for his church and God's eternal commitment to his people. Men, when you show your wives the love of Christ, the world sees the eternal love of God. This is so much different than barking out orders and fighting for your comfort and ruling the remote, being in charge. That is not the love of Christ. That's the folly of man. It's the folly of man. Love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrifice is truly the measure of love. What are you giving up for her good? What are you surrendering for her glory? that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So in verse 26, we start to read 
what Jesus does for his church. So the bride of Christ needs to be cleansed, needs to be washed, needs to be, uh, she's in bad shape. And let's talk about, see, if we get the analogy wrong here, you're going to be like, yep, my wife needs a lot of work, right? Wrong. But Jesus' love for his bride is you and your wife. And if you don't understand the love you need from Christ, then you won't give it to your wife. Okay? So the bride of Christ here is messed up. She's filthy. Here's a picture of a bride who's not getting ready for her wedding day. Check it out. She is just doing the wrong thing. All right? She's getting all dirty. She's, and behold, I give you the church of Christ. That is you and that is me. So if you think it was insulting for me to talk to the women in the first point, men, uh, the Bible is calling you a muddy bride. All right? How does that feel? It's your ego. This is, this is the bride of Christ. She has been <laughs> invited to wed the king of kings, the one who is crowned with many crowns, who will reign forever and ever. And she's diving in the mud. It is an indictment in the highest terms. We are sinful. We have no regard for the one who has called us to his side. We would rather be filthy than be holy. And here's the next picture. And we show up for the big day looking like this. I'm ready. What husband, what husband on earth, if his wife spent the morning pig wrestling, and then showed up smelling like manure, would be like, I do? do you, are you getting what I'm saying about the love of Christ? He says, I do to that. You get that? And are you beginning to glimpse how if that's the love that Christ gives us, that's the love we are to give to one another? Hey, listen, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe no one has ever explained the love of Christ to you. So this is one of the most beautiful ways I can do it, okay? Um, you are in over your head in a swamp. You are filthy. You are so full of sin, you have no hope of cleaning yourself off. And the greatest person who's ever lived wants to marry you. He wants to pick you up and clean you off and give you a new garment and welcome you, welcome you into his happily ever after forever. And it's either the swamp or it's him. And if you're like, I'm fine down here, you are gravely mistaken. Jesus needs to save you. Jesus needs to wed you. He needs to give you heaven which belongs to him, not you. Are you ready to ask Jesus for that great love? Or are you ready to run around in this world with all the lovers who will disappoint you? Which is it? But those of us who have accepted Christ as Savior, wow, he loves that! So that's supposed to be our perfect model for how we love each other. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. So it says here that he might sanctify her. So she's filthy and she needs to be cleansed and purified of her sin. That's a portrait of baptism. When you are saved, Jesus washes all of your sins away. And it's a portrait of sanctification. Once you're clean, 
you're going to get dirty again in this world. You'll step in a puddle. You'll fall down. He'll, he'll pick you back up in every spot, every wrinkle. He's preparing you for the big day, which isn't here yet. That's the love of Christ. He saves you. He sanctifies you. And men, this is the kind of love that we are to give our wives. Remember, we are receiving that love from Christ. We are just as broken and filthy and dirty. Because we've received this love from Christ, we can give it to our spouses. When she needs help, when she needs encouragement, when she needs perspective, you're right there to give it to her. The uh, Bible uses two words here in verse 29, nourish and cherish. You can write this down, nourish and cherish her. As Christ loved the church, nourish and cherish her. The first word for nourish means to feed. It's her wedding day and she's starving. She's hungry and needs food to become stronger. How many of you wives remember on your wedding day being starving before the dinner finally came around? You don't want anything near your dress, all right? You're not going to go get chicken nuggets and barbecue sauce on your wedding day. So by the time the dinner rolls around, you're like, I can eat everything here. That's the bride of Christ. She's, she's starving. And man, this is a call for us. This is what the Bible says is food, the Word of God, to feed our wives the Word of God because she's starving. Open the Bible, do a devotion, read a promise, reminder of God's faithfulness. Get this book open and let your family feast on the Word of God. That's spiritual leadership. To feed. So nourish means to feed. Cherish means to warm. So she's filthy, she's hungry, and she's freezing. She needs to be clothed with the robes of righteousness, which is similar to the fruit of the Spirit. She needs to be brought the peace of God, faith, hope. You're bringing these to her because she's freezing and she's starving and she's filthy. And so you're bringing these things to her. This is the love that men are to show their wives, to get their wives radiant, ready for her big day that's coming. Is that your heart, men, when you wake up? How can I help my wife to look camera ready to shine today? Not on Instagram. I mean spiritually. I mean you're, you're bringing her spiritual beauty products like joy, like hope, like peace, like faith. You're bringing those to her, right? You're clothing her in the garments of righteousness. What a love Christ gives to us. You're opening the word. You're praying with her. And then you're seeing her catch fire with faith because she's been around you. You're not waiting for her to drag you to church. You're not waiting for her to ask to open the word. You're not waiting for her to say, well, do you want to pray tonight? That's not leadership. She's not carrying you up the hill. Nourish and cherish her. Man, like Jesus, we have to help our bride to look perfect for the big day. And listen, she ain't ready and you ain't ready. It's going to be a lot of work. And so here's the thing. We're, held, we're shown a portrait of the perfect marriage here, Christ and his bride. And the perfect love and the perfect submission and husbands and wives both respond to that and they're like, that ain't us. <laughs> that, that's not us. And so you see this gap of where you need to get. And I would just say, don't let that get you to turn away from the challenge that we've just received. Let that make you turn toward Christ and to say, keep it up. Make us radiant. Get us ready. Show us your glory. It takes humility to grow in love. The challenge here is to build a strong spiritual friendship. Tim Keller gives a definition of what a spiritual friendship is. He says this, eagerly helping one another to know, serve, love, and resemble God in deeper and spiritual ways. I'll say that again. 
A spiritual friendship is eagerly helping one another know, serve, love, and resemble God in deeper and deeper ways. Hey, what husband wouldn't like a relationship where your wife is helping you to grow in deeper ways like Christ? And what wife wouldn't want a relationship where her husband is helping her to become radiant with spiritual beauty? What a lofty ideal. It says here, using the body imagery, in verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Then it quotes from Genesis 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Meaning, the first wedding is in Genesis. So the Bible begins and ends with a wedding. God is pro-marriage. Adam and Eve in the beginning, and Christ and his church at the end. And when you become married, you become one. Just like a body is united, a husband and a wife are one flesh. Therefore, hurting your wife is hurting yourself. Loving your wife is loving yourself. And it, it says nobody ever like is mean to his own body. The way you take care of your body should be the way you take care of your wife. Now I know the longer you've been married, women, the longer you have observed that your husband is very open and honest about his concerns about his own body. If he has an ache, if he has a pain, if he has a suspicion, something he's Googled, symptoms he's found, I'm guessing you've heard of it. I'm guessing you've heard a lot about it. I'm guessing you maybe have heard too much about it. When you suggest he goes to the doctor, why would he do that? When he's got you. Now look, men, the way you treat your body, do that to your wife. Symptom check her. Check in on her. Find the hurt in her. Do that, do that. That's how we love our own selves, and we should love others the same way, especially our wives. I wanted this to be a very practical sermon, but the text is really not set up as a how-to. It's meant to give us a wonderful picture of Jesus and his bride and Jesus and his body and how he so perfectly cares for us. That picture is supposed to guide you in how you love one another. But I do want to close out with some practical tips, and I figure what better way to get practical than to actually ask people. And so I texted a group of men and a group of women separately this week, and I asked them one question. I said to the women, what do you need most from your husband right now? And they texted me back. And then I texted the men, what do you need most from your wives right now? And they texted me back. Which one do you want to hear first, women or men? Men? Men. <laughs> Maybe you have a guess if I sent a group of men a text saying, what do you need most from your wives right now? Maybe you have a guess what they sent back. Shockingly, all of them wrote the same thing. What I need most from my wife right now is more spiritual friendship. Actually, I'm lying. That's not what they said. <laughs> you will be surprised, though, by what they said. It's not what you think. Seriously, here's what they wrote. Here's what they wrote. I need a good laugh. Hearing a silly family story for the day because of all the stress. I need positive, encouraging words. Empathy for working long hours. For her to lift me up when I'm weak and to not resent that I am weak too. I need the ability to say I just don't know what to do here. Without judgment or freaking her out. I need to know my wife is praying for me so that I know she wants God to continue to work on me. 
I need encouragement to pursue healthy habits. Time and money set aside for those habits, like exercise or time with other men or even counseling. Faith to believe that those things are worth it. After all these texts and one man added, and sex. <laughs> and then the text thread spiraled out of control. <laughs> now with the women. What do wives need from their husbands most right now? Here's what they said. Grace when days are long. To be able to vent without my husband fixing it. Need him to recognize when burnout is looming. I want him to hear my heart. Just to take one of those spinning plates like dinner regularly. To do the basics, but to look beyond for more ways to be a partner. I want him to help me without me having to nag or to spell it out. I need support in parenting and schoolwork, and I need to not be the bad cop all the time. To watch the kids while I do something life-giving. I need my husband to get around other men. My husband is a better man when he has other men to talk to. Entertainment, because we don't leave the house as much. Creative date nights, time alone is a treasure. Go out for a meal once a month, talk about non-stressful things. And then woman, one woman wrote, and chocolate and shoulder rubs. <laughs> chocolate and shoulder rubs. So this is what men and women want most. And I would say this, I know that couples need encouragement and strengthening and maybe even counseling and whatever you need, God is right there to provide it for you. Jesus, you saw his bride. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's never going to turn away from you, no matter how filthy you've gotten. And he will strengthen you. He will build you up. When you see the picture of the perfect marriage, and then you put your picture next to it, and you realize, wow, we are not that. Humble yourselves. Men, humble yourselves and ask God to make you the husband he wants you to be. Humble yourselves, wives, and ask him to make you the wife he wants you to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what, what a strong and challenging and encouraging message today. Thank you that you want our marriages to be stronger, to be special, to be lifelong. You want our hearts to be healed up from whatever wounds we have in the past, from this particular area of life. And Jesus, thank you first and foremost for the portrait of your unfailing love. You will devote yourselves to us forever. And Lord, I just think of anybody today who doesn't have that love from Christ. I, I just think of anybody today who doesn't have that promise that they are on their way to a royal wedding and Jesus himself is making her ready for that. Today, may they humble themselves and say, Jesus, save me. Make me your bride. Make me the one you love forever. But Lord, for those who are here today, couples, I just pray that they would be honest with you, that they would this week open up your word, pray together for their family, that they would share their hearts with one another, that they would receive correction if they have gotten sideways or gone astray. And Lord, I just pray that you would bring them back to this picture of the perfect love you have for us. We both need it. Show them, Lord, that perfection is not demanded from either of them. That's not our job. We are just imitating the perfect relationship. We will never become it. And I pray that you would help marriages in this room to grow stronger and stronger because of your spirit. 
I pray for all the women in the room that they would trust the love of the only perfect groom, Jesus Christ, that they would rest in his love. I pray for all the men in the room that they would humbly admit what they need from Christ every day and that they would become stronger spiritual leaders, being like Jesus who gave himself up for his church. Lord, help us to know that wherever we're at in this, we can enjoy your perfect love forever. And wherever we are, Lord, uh, right now on the timeline, show us that you will care for us. You will move us forward. You will strengthen us. You will heal us. You will shepherd us so that we can give this love to others in our lives. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would do it. Do it again. We pray this in Jesus' name.